Good morning, Whitewater. I'm glad that you're tuning in online. I am out of my house for like the first time in a while, and I'm not gonna lie, it feels really good. I know some of you are extroverts like me, you're ready to be around some people. Some of you are introverts like my wife, Judy, who does not mind at all being shut up in the house, but sometimes she does need a little bit of social distancing from the people that are shut up in the house with her, right? But for those of you who are shut in and maybe a little bit stir crazy, hey, we see you. I know there's a lot of people in our church who aren't shut in. You're working medical or essential services. Some of you are working harder than you ever have before. We see you too and we appreciate you sac your sacrifice. And, um, and I know there's a lot of people who are taking the hit on this, who have lost jobs, who have lost income. I see you too. I'm glad you're here. I think that God's word has something for, for you today, something you need to hear. I know there's people who are watching today who have never been to Whitewater Crossing. Maybe you haven't set foot in a church in years. Stay with us. You're at home. You're safe. You're not breaking your streak. I think there's something for you today as well. All right? Now, for the past few weeks, we have been talking about how Jesus is better than anything else that there is. Jesus is the best family we could have. Whether you like your family or not, God's the best father ever. Now, last week, David talked about how Jesus is better than the storm, that he's bigger than the storm, that, that even when the world is blowing apart around us, we have an anchor that keeps us safe and secure from all alarm. Now today, we're continuing in that theme and saying that Jesus is better, Jesus is bigger than our pain. Than what pain? Than all, any of it. Than all of it. Now, I don't know where you're at in terms of coronavirus pain. It looks like Ohio is going to be the last place to get it bad because we're, you know, always the last at everything, right? But for my family, the only friend who's really come down with a bad COVID-19 case is on the East Coast. So the doctors are saying they think she's going to make it. So for our family, so far, there's not a lot of pain in this crisis. Mostly we're just learning how to homeschool and wishing we had a, an office with a door that locked, right? But I think all of us have or will suffer some pain at some point because of this. Now, how much remains to be seen, but I don't think we're close to done yet. And I think this thing's going to touch us all in some way. And whether it's coronavirus or cancer or just old age, at some point you will come face to face with grief and with loss and with pain. Someone you know is going to die. Someone you love is going to die. You may be faced with death yourself. And what good is your faith going to be then? Now, if you grew up on the West Side, you know that today marks the beginning of Holy Week, right? The, the week leading up to Jesus' death on a cross, his resurrection three days later. Lent is almost over, right? We all gave up a lot more for Lent than we were expecting to, right? But we Protestants are really good at love and Easter. We love resurrection. We love victory. We love transformation. We love the good guys winning in the end. And we should, okay? But because we love them so much, and because we've already read the back of the book and we know how the story ends, sometimes we miss just how dark it gets in the middle. In the middle of the story, nobody's talking about how awesome the victory is. In the middle of the story, nobody talks about how happy they are with the ending. In the middle of the story, people just want the pain to stop. I know this because I'm a pastor, and mostly being a pastor doesn't mean standing on a big stage and telling people what's up and building a huge Instagram crowd, right? Mostly it means sitting with people in the worst moments of their life. Last fall, I, um, I sat with a beautiful young couple whose unborn child had just died, first kid. They were crushed. She'd previously had two miscarriages, but this time everything was looking good. This was going to be it, right? Everything was perfect. Everything was textbook. They waited to have the baby shower until they were sure the baby was going to make it, right? And so they're almost to the end. They had the baby shower, and the next day, um, the baby stopped moving. And I sat with them in the hospital, and all I could think about was our own miscarriage, which was like almost seven years ago now. And the nurse that came into the room and said to my wife and I, 
you are no longer pregnant. So I'm in the hospital with them. I'm crying. This couple's crying. We're all, we're all kind of having a hard time together. And this, this beautiful young mom said something to me that crushed me. She said, I know it's a sin to be mad at God, but I'm so angry and I don't know what to do. She said, I know it's a sin to be mad at God. Now, before we finish our time together today, we'll talk about what to do when people around you are grieving. Uh, spoiler alert, right? Mostly the right thing to do is just shut up and be with them. You might feel a need to talk, but a grieving person does not feel a need for you to talk, okay? So that particular moment was not the right moment for a theology lesson about God and anger. But this moment is. And so I want you to know when the storm comes crashing, when the lights go out, when the respirator turns off, I want you to know that God is bigger than your anger. He is bigger than your pain. He is big enough to handle it. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that it's a sin to get mad at God. It's actually the opposite of that. The, the Bible goes out of its way to record godly people being mad at God. It's right there in the Psalms, right? Psalm 13 says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. Or Psalm 77 says this. It says, you kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart medita meditated. My spirit asked, will the Lord reject me forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in his anger withheld his compassion? Now, a lot of people know um, Psalm 23, uh, but we don't know Psalm 22. The two Psalms actually go together. Psalm 22 and 23 uh, are just kind of a seamless piece. And 22 starts out like this. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If that sounds familiar, it's because that's what Jesus says on the cross. This is the psalm that he quotes as he's dying. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, and I find no rest. Psalm 22 is a treasure. It's uh, absolutely something that's worth it for you to pick it up and read it. Um, even this Holy Week, uh, read what it was that Jesus was saying because it's, it, it has both the pain and the hope. If you read the whole thing, it's, it's beautiful, right? So God is bigger than our anger. He's bigger than our grief. He's bigger than the pain that is crushing us. The most common question that I get in times of pain is why did God allow this? Why do such bad things happen to good people? People have been asking that question for 2,000 years, right? More, 3,000. I mean, it's literally right there in the Psalms. And the reason that we're still asking it is because the Bible never answers it directly. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, the question has an answer at a philosophical level. But in times of crisis, nobody is asking that question philosophically. We're asking the question, God, what about me? What about my pain? What about my anguish? What about my grief? And God answers those questions, but not the way we expect. Pastor John Ortberg, he says that of everything that the Apostle Paul ever commanded, there's nothing that's been disobeyed quite as much as the simple phrase, mourn with those who mourn. 
Paul doesn't say, give good advice to those who mourn. He doesn't say, tell mourners to suck it up because plenty of people have it worse. He doesn't say, rebuke mourners because uh, being around somebody who's unhappy gets in the way of my own unbridled demand for incessant pleasantness. No, he says, mourn with those who mourn. When someone that you love is mourning, they don't need your advice. They need your presence. I've noticed a weird thing as Judy and I have been raising our kids. I now get choked up at kids' movies. I didn't used to get choked up at kids' movies, right? I took a couple of Easy A film courses in college where we'd watch these moving scenes and dissect them and talk about the structure and the foreshadowing and the way the directors tugged at the audience's heartstrings. But my heartstrings never got tugged, right? Just watching it for class. And then I had a son who was obsessed with Pixar's Cars movie, right? And I would watch it with him. And every time I watch Cars, I tear up at the end. Every time. All Disney movies do this to me now, right? Toy Story, Endgame, like I Love You 3000. What happened? Like I'm a, I'm a big tough guy. Why am I getting Case of the Eye Sweats? Now, every time we love something or someone, we open ourselves up to pain. In a very real sense, that's what love is. That's part of what love is. When I love something or someone, I open myself up to pain. You see this with people, right? You see it with sports. I know uh, when I say this out loud, I have to turn in my American card, but I don't particularly love baseball. Sorry, I'm an Indiana boy. It's all about hoops, right? So I was disappointed when March Madness, March Madness was canceled, but, but that was nothing compared to the people who were crushed on opening day, right? Opening day in Cincinnati, and there's no opening day, right? It didn't open. And it, it was a whole new level of mourning than I was expecting to see. I get it. I just wasn't expecting it. See, every time we love, we open ourselves up to pain. Now, you can minimize the pain you experience in life by kind of holding yourself apart and aloof from everyone and everything, right? But that's no way to live a life. Here's something to think about. There is no one who has ever loved as much as God has loved. God didn't hold himself aloof. He didn't hold himself apart. He, did, he loved each and every one of us on our good days and our bad days. There has never been anyone who has experienced as much joy as God has experienced, but there's also never been anyone who has experienced as much sorrow, as much grief, as much pain. A few weeks ago, um, John Tichovich told the story of Jesus and Lazarus, the shortest verse in the Bible, right? Jesus wept. And I can't I can't get it out of my head. God's the biggest. God's the toughest. God's the strongest, right? He should be immune to pain. He should be untouchable. He's a rock. And yet here's Jesus. Jesus wept. Theologian and uh, poet Calvin Miller wrote a book called A Requiem for Love, which is a poetic retelling of Genesis 1 through 3. And in it, God has this amazing line, right? He says, all being bears a burden in proportion to its size. To stride these stars with all I carry would break the spine of spindling galaxies. All being bears a burden in proportion to its size. All being bears a burden in proportion to its size. A few weeks ago, David talked about God's amazing omnis, right? God is omnipresent and he's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's everywhere and he knows everything. He's all powerful. And those things are true. But the most unimaginable thing about God to me is not his power. It's his ability to bear pain. Jesus mourns with those of us who mourn. 
God is present in your pain. So when you're mourning with those who mourn, there's two things I don't want you to say. Okay, two things. The first one we've already covered. Please don't say it's a sin to be mad at God. All right? God is big enough to take it. He wants honesty. He wants authenticity over everything else. Bring your authentic pain to God. He is big enough to take it. The second thing I'd ask you not to say when you're mourning with those who mourn is don't say this is God's will and you just have to accept it. This just must be God's will and you have to accept it. Look, we don't understand the will of God. Okay, it's too big for me to wrap my arms around. Why God chooses to intervene sometimes and not others is a question that I'll probably never understand. But Jesus does tell, him, tell us how to pray to him. And he says something that most of us miss. You guys know the, the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, right? It starts out, it says, Jesus says that we should pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. That we should pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Look it up. It's Matthew 6, right? Verse 9. It says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He tells us that we should pray that God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you know what that means? It means that God's will is not being done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? You don't pray for things that you already have. If God's will was being done, then we wouldn't need to pray that it would be done. It would already be done, right? So when I look at the coronavirus or anything else, I don't think God is doing this to me for some unknowable reason. I think even in the midst of this tragedy, God will do something good. It's different, right? To continue the Pixar theme, right? God is kind of like Wall-E. He loves taking broken things and making them beautiful. But I don't believe that he's the one doing the breaking. See, God is kind of like the former mayor of Chicago, right? God never wastes a crisis. If you can lean into God in the midst of heartache, you will find that you grow more than you ever thought possible. Pain can be our greatest teacher. Most people's goal is pain avoidance, right? That's how we run through life. But that strategy never works out in the long term. If you can lean into the pain now, your your future self is going to thank you for that. The deepest and the truest things I have ever learned about life and about God happened during some of the darkest times in my life. Crisis, even this crisis, can be a temporary opportunity for a permanent gift. We could all come out of this with post-traumatic stress, right? But we could also have post-traumatic growth. Sometimes what doesn't kill us really does make us stronger or wiser or kinder or more aware or more deeply rooted. So when you're going through a crisis, I want you to know that I don't believe God caused your pain, but I also don't believe he wants to waste it. So what do we pray for? We pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And how is God's will done in heaven? Friends, it's in the back of the book, right? Revelation 21 says this. It says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among his people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne says, I am making everything new. No more death or mourning or crying or pain. That's God's will. God doesn't cause bad things, but he uses them. And he doesn't hold himself apart from our pain. This is Holy Week, friends. Thursday, we celebrate the Last Supper. 
Friday, we remember the crucifixion. What makes Good Friday good? That Jesus bled and died and experienced pain on our behalf. Now, crucifixion is a punishment that's designed to be as painful as possible. That's what crucifixion's for. But even though I can't prove it, I believe that the pain of crucifixion was nothing compared to the pain that Jesus experienced because of his love for us. He loves us. He loves me through my mistakes. He loves me through the pain of my rejection of him. He loves me in the midst of my own suffering that comes um, from living in a fallen, broken world. Theologian N.T. Wright wrote a beautiful piece in Time Magazine this week called Christianity Offers No Answers for the Coronavirus. Stay with me. It's worth reading. But there's a paragraph at the end that I particularly love. He says, It is no part of the Christian vocation, then, to be able to explain what's happening and why. In fact, it is part of the Christian vocation not to be able to explain and to lament instead. As the Spirit laments within us, so we become, even in our isolation, even in our self-isolation is what he says, as the Spirit laments within us, so we become, even in our self-isolation, small shrines where the presence and healing of God can dwell. And that's my prayer for you on this Palm Sunday. Certainly, I would like to be spared pain, right? I would like for you to be spared. But my true prayer for us, for you, for me, for my family, for yours, is that you would experience the love of God no matter what's happening in our world. That even in the midst of crisis and grief, you could take your pain to the one who shares it with you. Now, we're still figuring out, guys, how to, do, uh, how to be a church in the middle of a pandemic. And I think, feel like we're getting better at the live stream, right? Which is cool. I think it gets better every week. But the best streaming video in the world can't listen to you, can't mourn with you, can't pray with you. So we've built a new thing on our website. Uh, it's available live right now. Uh, if you're watching this live, our prayer team is available right now to pray with you. For 30 minutes after this service, if you go to whitewatercrossing.org, you'll see a little chat icon. And if you click it, you'll be connected one-on-one -on -one to someone who wants to hear what's going on in your life and pray for you. All right? Now, this isn't a bot. This isn't a call center in the Philippines. This is a whitewater person who wants to be digitally present with you in the middle of a rough time. I know it's not the same as having like a physical shoulder to cry on, but it's something. When I was, um, when I was eight years old, my dad was hit by a car while biking. It was very bad. Um, he didn't wake up for three days. He had literally hundreds of fractures. He had frontal lobe, lobe damage in his brain. It was when I realized for the first time that my parents were not invincible. And it, it took about four years for him to get put back together. At the end of that time, he was a couple inches shorter and he still walks with a permanent limp. But through it all, through it all, I got to see him put his eyes on Jesus. I got to see the church be the church. I got to see God be God. I got to see what faith looks like in the midst of massive pain. And even though he's independent by nature, right, I got to see him have to depend on other people. I got to see him depend on God. I am the man I am today because I watched my father grow through pain. And now my kids are at the age that I was when my dad had his accident. And what are they going to see in me? Are they going to see me choose life, choose joy in the midst of the pain that's coming? Are they going to see me be faithful? 
Will they see me lean into God and lean into our church family in the days that are coming? What are they going to say about me 30 years from now? Just like I'm talking about my dad 30 years ago. I hope that they say that I've been faithful, that I grew, that I leaned in, right? That we didn't just tuck ourselves away and hide, but that we did the work of calling out to God and being close to him, even in the midst of the pain. That's my prayer for myself, and that's my prayer for you. Guys, we're all in this together, all right? You are not alone in your pain. You don't have to be. You're not alone because God is with you no matter what. And you're not alone because you have a church family that's with you. And you, who might be watching for the first time, who clicked this link to try it out, you need to know that you are not alone. God loves you and is with you in this moment. So let's find ways to be present with each other when we can and to remind ourselves that God is present with us always, even in our pain. All right, let's pray. Oh God, I love you so much. I'm so grateful that you're with us even in this. And Father, I pray that you would make yourself known to us right now, that you would remind us again and again and again that you're here, that we would be able to feel your presence in the midst of the loneliness and isolation and the pain. In your name we pray, amen. All right, guys, I love you. I'll see you next week.